focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have the Sochi sisters in Kwanzaa and Chejihi. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. That It's been a while <laughs> since we got the unison good evening today. Uh, nevertheless, we're going to start things off with uh, economy. Uh, the U.S. Federal Reserve, as widely expected, the market consensus was that they were going to raise their rates in their next FOMC meeting. Uh, that did happen. We got the results of this early Thursday morning Korea time. Uh, 25 basis points was the market consensus. We did see a 25% uh, basis, uh, sorry, 25 basis point increase uh, from from the U.S. Federal Reserve. Uh, G, you're going to start us off. Uh, let's get the latest figures on that. Sure. So the U.S. Fed raised its benchmark interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point on the 26th local time, and the Fed had previously left rates unchanged at its June meeting, ending a 15-month period of aggressive hikes that began in March of last year. Now, the decision was reached unanimously, and this brings the U.S. benchmark interest rate to 525 to 5.5 percent, which is the highest level in 22 years, up from 5.0 to 5.25 percent since uh, 2001. Now, the Fed said in a statement that recent indicators suggest that economic activity is expanding at a moderate pace and job growth has been solid in recent months. Now, the unemployment rate has remained low, but inflation remains elevated. And it added that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient, but tighter credit conditions are likely to weigh on uh, employment, economic activity, as well as inflation. And the impact is uncertain, uh, so the committee remains highly attentive to inflation risks. In determining further policy accommodation, the Fed said it would take into account the cumulative tightening and the lags in the effects of monetary policy on inflation, reaffirming its 2% inflation target. Uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell followed up by saying that it's certainly certainly uh, possible that the Fed could raise rates again at the September meeting if the data supported, but that it's also possible that it could choose to hold rates steady, leaving the door open for both a hike and a hold. And as for recession fears, Powell said he no, lo- he no longer uh, anticipates a recession. Now, while markets have weighed in on the likelihood that this will be the last hike as inflation has subsided and overall indicators have softened, the Fed's ambiguous stance will continue to create uncertainty for the time being. And regarding this, the Wall Street Journal noted that in line with market expectations, uh, economic growth may have been too robust in recent months for Mr. Powell to signal that this rate hike is the end of the current tightening cycle. Again, I don't know where the robust economic growth is seen right now, because from what I understand in the United States, uh, it, it's things are not so good. And uh, obviously, the continuous uh, uh, rate hikes is impacting a lot of the homeowners over even in the United States. I mean, we've seen that impact us here in South Korea. But it is interesting because the U.S. Fed had hinted uh, that before the latest uh, rate hike of 25 basis point, that maybe in the remaining uh, months to go in the uh, the 2023 year that that may be two more rate hikes and so we got one rate hike done and over with and so I think this is what he means that uh, in September there might be another rate hike or a freeze and then a final I believe uh, December might 
be the last uh, policy meeting of the year. And there's a possibility that uh, if they freeze it for September, that they'll probably raise it again uh, in December. And that may be uh, the final rate cut before uh, I believe uh, rate cuts are going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then I think so far, uh, Jerome Powell didn't uh, give us any hint as to when that's going to happen. I mean, there's been some speculations that it might happen next year. But uh, so far, I mean, they're just continuously pushing for that 2% target and it's not coming anytime soon. Uh, but we're watching this very carefully because, as you know, uh, South Korea, because of a number of issues, uh, fear of uh, economic slowdown, and of course, the heavy mortgages that everyone has taken over the past few years, uh, the Bank of Korea has frozen in it's rates at 3.5% for some time now, which means that with the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve raising its rates, we're going to see a continuous gap in the rates between the central bank. Uh, what does this mean for Korea? And are, are there any sort of uh, negative impacts expected on this front so on? Right. Uh, the key rate gap between Korea and the U.S. now stands at a historic high of 1.75 to 2 percentage points. Korea Central Bank earlier this month had kept its rate steady at 3.5%, as you said, SJ, for the fourth straight time. So will this big gap now impact Korea's economy? And will the Fed's latest decision have some kind of influence in Korea's upcoming rate-setting policy meetings is the question. Uh, the risks posed by a higher rate gap are potential capital outflows from Korea's economy and thus a weakening of the local currency, the Korean won, against the U.S. dollar. Moreover, household loans have been increasing rapidly again. Uh, so all of these are reasons for why the BOK may have to seriously consider raising interest rates. Uh, despite concerns of outflows of money, though, Korea's finance minister reassured that recent data suggested the country's market remains robust. During a meeting at the Minister of Economy and Finance on the heels of the Fed's decision, Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho said it's not only the interest rate gap, but other factors such as the economic and financial conditions at home and abroad that influence the inflow and outflow of capital, as well as the foreign exchange market. With that, he also stressed that foreign investors still showed confidence in South Korea's economy, citing foreign investment worth more than 22 trillion won this year, or roughly 17.2 billion U.S. dollars. Uh, this figure is referring to the foreign direct investment promises made to Korea from January to June, which rose 50 4.2% on-year, reaching an all-time high for a first-half period. Minister Chu, however, said the government and BOK will keep working together to monitor the situation and come up with a contingency plan if needed. So with the FOMC's decision having been widely expected, Korea Central Bank seems to be downplaying needs for a hike here in the country. But some experts say with another increase expected to come up in September uh, in the U.S., many factors will have to be considered in Korea's August policy meeting. Yeah, it's quite interesting because uh, when we started really seeing a widening gap uh, between the to central banks uh, interest rates uh, we saw the peak i believe at a uh, dollar going at 1,442.5 Korean won. Uh, that was the very peak. It mm -hmm. almost hit 1,500. And uh, of course, uh, the South Korean government uh, kind of intervened and uh, we saw it dip down. Actually, February, it went down as low as 1,227. It went started dipping down again. And then you had started seeing the US uh, Fed 
continuously uh, increasing their rates and the, the gap continued, but it didn't move. It didn't really lead to a stronger greenback as we had anticipated because it's still at 1,277.51 per dollar. Uh, so we're not seeing that. Uh, we're not even seeing it surpass the 1,300. I think it surpassed 1,300 at one point, but it's still, it's on a downward trend is what we're seeing. And so I think the Bank of Korea is seeing this right now. It's no, We're not seeing a massive capital outflow as we had expected. And so it could be possible that the Bank of Korea will continue to uh, freeze its rates for the time being. Uh, let's move on here. As you know, a lot of people have been driving uh, EVs, uh, still kind of skeptical over the EV cars these days but uh, south korea's hyundai motor and kia motors uh they're going to be a group of uh seven global automakers in the recently announced plan to form an ev charging network uh and uh, some of the other uh automakers include gm uh, mercedes-benz and uh, bmw how do you pronounce Mer so what did this how, how do you sp pronounce mercedes-benz in german okay first mercedes-benz is pronounced mercedes-benz okay mercedes there you go that, that's and, and the other one you're gonna ask is dmvev what bmw dmvev bmv there you go <laughs> anyways and it's volkswagen <laughs> there you go uh the number of automakers there uh let's hear what all this is about with the mm. the charging networks you, you have more of this right so like you said hyundai and kia are teaming up with bmw general motors honda and mercedes-benz as well as stellantis to form a charging alliance in the united states now the seven major automakers issued a joint press release on the 26th, announcing the creation of a joint venture uh, to, to build an electric vehicle charging network in North America. And their aim is to install at least 30,000 high-powered charging stations in cities and on highways so that customers can charge whenever and wherever they need. Now, these stations will offer both CCS, which is the current U.S. standard, and the NACS connectors, which is Tesla's charging standard, uh, for use by all EV customers. Now, the first charging stations will open in the U.S. in the summer of 2024 before expanding to Canada, and each charging station will be equipped with multiple high-power DC chargers, and the joint venture said it plans to power them exclusively with renewable energy in accordance with the participants participating companies' sustainability strategies. And according to the Alliance, wherever possible, canopies or the roof-like coverings will be installed and additional convenience facilities such as restrooms, food service, and retail will be located within or adjacent to the charging station complex with some flagship stations uh, featuring extra features to provide the best possible experience to demonstrate the future of charging. Now, they expect the joint charging network deployment plan to meet the requirements of the U.S. Uh, government's new energy vehicle uh, infrastructure grant program to be eligible for public funding. And the joint venture is expected to be established within the year following uh, regulatory approval. And the companies did not disclose the specific amount of their investment, but the Wall Street Journal reported that the seven companies will invest at least $1 billion in the joint venture to build the electric vehicle uh, charging network, citing sources familiar with the matter. All right. So uh, what's the main motive behind the whole ambitious plan to create this uh, charging network? And uh, will this mean further competition even in the market? 
Right, so the move to build their own charging network comes as the lack of charging stations is one of the top reasons uh, cons- consumers are hesitant to buy EVs. And according to the U.S. Department of Energy, there were 32,000 public DC fast chargers in the U.S. as of July, with 2.3 million electric vehicles using them. So that's resulting in a ratio of 72 vehicles per charger. And the National Renewable Energy Laboratory also estimated that 182,000 DC fast chargers will be needed to support the 30 to 42 million plug-in vehicles expected to be on the road by 2030. And about the competition, now this recent decision by the seven automakers to build their own network also marks the beginning of competition with the industry leader Tesla, uh, because according to the U.S. Department of Energy, Tesla, which has been expanding its supercharger network for more than a decade, has 60% of all U.S. fast charging stations currently. Yeah, I mean, even here at uh, the Arirang uh, building, there is the four charging stations Mm -hmm. uh, down in the first floor. And then there is, I believe, like two in the basement five or something like that. And before, it used to be completely empty. No one was using the charging stations. But they created the the, the four extra because there was more and more people uh, driving EVs now. But I do understand that even, uh, especially in the United States and just in North America in general, uh, there's just so many EVs, and uh, if you've seen these like you know videos going viral and stuff like that, people fighting over charging stations, <laughs> there's just a lack of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was like one of the main things that for many Koreans out there, uh, the reason why they didn't want to drive an EV in the first place was number one, they weren't sure that the uh, battery. Uh, was safe and the other one was that there was just not enough charging stations available which is the other reason why there's not a lot of people who are buying these uh, the hydrogen field cars because Mm -hmm. there's so limited number of hydrogen uh, charging stations out there Uh, so that's it's even I don't think even 30,000 is going to be enough but from understand they're going to continue to expand this uh, to move forward here Uh, Nyanti was asking where uh, Soa learned German she's literally German (laughs) I learned German in Germany. In Germany. <laughs> She's literally German. Um, let's move on here. South Korea's tech giant Samsung Electronics reporting a whopping 95% loss in its second quarter report card as the global economic slowdown has put a big dent in the semiconductor market. Uh, it's interesting because last year they were reporting some record figures uh, This uh, missed, uh, despite the fact that they were at the peak of the pandemic. But uh, Nevertheless, improvements are expected in the second half of the year. So, so let's get the latest figures on this. Right. The swapping 95% loss seems actually much bigger because just as you mentioned, SJ, last year, they really had uh, very good numbers. Robust. Yes, robust. And now Samsung Electronics on Thursday announced its second quarter financial results. So the span from April to June 2023. The company's operating profit in this period came at 668.5 billion won or 525.8 million US dollars. That is a plunge by 95.26% from the same quarter last year, and that marks the lowest in 14 years. Uh, Year on year revenue amounted to 60 trillion won or 47.2 billion US dollars, dropping 
by 22.28%. Net income plunged by 84.47% to 1.72 trillion won or $1.4 billion. The figures are similar to preliminary data that they released on July 7th. Now, the poor results are attributed to macroeconomic woes that are affecting the semiconductor sector, uh, which alone reported a loss of 4.36 trillion won or 3.43 billion US dollars. The semiconductor sector being the Samsung Device Solutions Division. And it marks uh, the sector's second consecutive quarterly loss. In the first quarter, the loss marked Samsung's first loss in the division in 14 years. And uh, that meaning in the first half of the year, the company has reached nearly 9 trillion won of loss in the sector. That's roughly $7 billion. So the demand for chips used in electronic devices like smartphones, as well as those needed for computers and cars, has gone down significantly. And the global chip market is predicted to shrink 6% on year in 2023, meaning difficulties will likely continue for the time being. However, the chipmaker has a more positive outlook for the second half of the year, saying in its report that the memory business is to see an improvement in growth, with the market expected to gradually stay stabilize, quote, considering increasing production cuts in the industry, while inventory adjustments by customers are likely to wind down. Uh, The launch of new smartphones and PC promotion in the second half of the year are likely to spur more rosy projections. And speaking of smartphones, uh, just yesterday, Samsung Galaxy actually had uh, the unpacked um, event held in Korea, and uh, it was actually... Also, um, it, it was not only the first time held in Korea, but also it was expected to be held a little later in the year. Yeah, yeah. So experts are saying this might have to do with this report card as well and that they really want to spur the semiconductor industry, especially with these new items. First and foremost, I would love to have an operating profit of 525.8 <laughs> million US dollars, but obviously for uh, such a, a giant of a uh, company, it, it's it's not a big uh, profit, mm-hmm. I guess, in some ways. But I, I find it quite interesting. I, I do understand that there is a lack of demands for chips for like smartphones, uh, even computers, right? The reason why there was a huge uh, profit for Samsung Electronics last year was because of all the people during the pandemic stuck at home buying all the computers mm-hmm. and stuff like that, uh, which is why com- uh, companies like uh, Samsung Electronics, SK Hynix, they were really doing well. Um, and so now that no one wants these new computers, no one needs any more new computers, uh, we're seeing uh, less demand for uh, chips for computers and things like that. But cars is, uh, the semiconductor chips for cars is the mystery because from what I understand, there still is a lack of semiconductor chips for cars, which is why uh, people are still waiting months and months and months uh, for cars to come out. But uh, it could also be because uh, more people are trying to buy hybrid and the batteries and then also uh, EVs, batteries are taking more time to uh, create. So maybe that's one of the reasons for why it's taking, taking so long and it's not necessarily the semiconductor chips uh, mm. that's uh, leading 
the, 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 what is it, the delay in the cars coming out here. I think and Hyundai, was, oh, sorry, saw go some on. good figures recently, like for its second quarter. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hyundai and Kia has been seeing record numbers because yeah. of their uh, SUV uh, sales over in the uh, in North right. America right. and even here in South Korea as well. So you were saying something? Um, and uh, and I also understand why the demand for smartphone chips might be going down is because I think people tend to use their smartphones for a longer period these days. Because absolutely, in yeah. the past, I think people uh, use them on an average for around two years or so, but now it's longer. been like three to four years. I, you know, there's been people who used to change it every year, right? Mm. Because like uh, even as far, uh, I would say like about like maybe six, seven years ago, uh, new models would come out and these new models would be far better than the previous models. But nowadays, uh, these phones that are coming out, I mean, it's as good as it can get. I mean, you don't need a super powered phone, right? Uh Soa might need a new phone because she's always running out of space and <laughs> stuff like that. And maybe she's, <laughs> she needs to carry around two phones just for cameras. Uh, but other than that, you're right. I mean, and a lot of people are using these phones for like, you know, three, four years. And they cost much more than before because Absolutely. everyone needs a premium smartphone. And then it's really difficult to, you know, get a new one every two years. Yeah. You know, the one that they released yesterday, mm-hmm. the new one, it's, I think, the flip phone yeah. is like over two million mm-hmm. Korean won. Oh, but so the good news for this, and, and, and Samsung is not paying me to say this. <laughs> I wish they would be, but... They're saying that now, because one of the, the big flaws, and I'm pretty sure that's the reason why you're always running out of space, is you can't upgrade it by putting like these SD, oh, the, yeah. the micro SD chips. But now they're saying that Samsung, what they're doing is, mm-hmm. is with the new phone, you're able to put in the uh, micro SD chips. External. Oh, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah. And so basically it comes with like, usually it comes with like 256 or 512 mm-hmm. uh, gigabytes of space. And if that's not enough, I don't know how that's not enough. But for so it's not <laughs> enough. You could you could put like a terabyte of uh, what is good. yeah memory, and then mm. you'll just have more pictures you'll be taking before okay, the show. Okay, I'm now getting this phone. <laughs> Samsung, if you're listening, I want my commission here. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, the remains of Korean War troops uh, finally returned home uh, seven decades after seven decades with the highest military honors. Uh, special ceremony uh, being held in Busan uh, because of this. Uh, Chi, let's get the details of this. Right. So the remains of seven Korean War veterans were transferred from uh, initially North Korea to Hawaii after they were presumed to be U.S. soldiers, and they've returned to their homeland after 73 years. Now, all were initially presumed to be U.S. soldiers and were temporarily laid to rest in Hawaii. But after a joint U.S. ROK forensic examination, they were determined to be Korean soldiers and returned home. Now, the ROK Air Force transport plane carrying the seven remains landed at the Seoul airport at around 8 p.m. yesterday. And the remains of the fallen soldiers received a hero's welcome in a reception ceremony hosted by President Yoon Seok-yeol. Uh, Yoon was joined by top Korean and U.S. military officials to pay their utmost respects, greeting the arrival with the highest military honor. And as the remains were lowered into the soil of their homeland, a repatriation uh, ceremony of the soldiers took place at the site. 
Now, meanwhile, the Ministry of Veterans Affairs is hosting uh, a ceremony to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the signing of the armistice that halted the Korean War uh, at the United Nations Memorial Cemetery in Busan at 7.40 p.m. tonight. And more than 4,000 people, including veterans, are expected to attend. And President Yoon, uh, as the first income incumbent uh, incumbent president and delegates from 22 nations are to visit the place as well to pay tribute to fallen heroes. Not to mention, uh, in commemoration of the anniversary, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden has highlighted the alliance between Seoul and Washington that was forged by the war veterans. Uh, so can you tell us more about that? Sure, I'm looking for it. Yeah. You, did your computer go out right now? <laughs> no, it did not. I do not need a new Samsung computer. I have a thank you, SJ. <laughs> Better rely on the paper. Yes. Uh, anyways, in a release titled A Proclamation on National Korean War Veterans Armistice Day 2023, U.S. President Joe Biden called, uh, referred to the South Korea-U.S. bond as an unbreakable bond, which was forged by service members of the two countries who fought side by side in the 1950-1953 Korean War. Biden also called for renewing Washington's commitment to democratic values and continue to ensure that the alliance with the Republic of Korea contributes to global peace and prosperity. The U.S. president also recalled President Yoon Seok-yeol's recent state visit to the U.S., where the two leaders paid tribute to the Koreans and Americans' sacrifices during the Korean War at the Korean War Veterans Memorial. There was no message toward North Korea in this year's proclamation. Uh, a message related to North Korea, however, was made by the United Nations when it was asked to comment to both the South and North Koreans on the occasion of the 70th anniversary of the Korean Armistice Agreement. So uh, the UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric said that uh, he thinks uh, he would like to see a, quote, resumption of the diplomatic dialogue as an effort to lower tensions on the Korean peninsula and lead ultimately to the verifiable denuclearization of the peninsula. And in regards to Russia and China sending delegations to North Korea to the 70th anniversary of what North Korea calls Victory Day, Dujaric said that the UN hopes that any member state with direct contact with Pyongyang would pass along the messages that will lead to diplomatic talks and denuclearization. So uh, kind of asking for Russia and China to talk to North Korea regarding diplomatic talks with, you know, the U.S. And I don't think that's going to be actually happening. Uh, however, also U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres himself in a commemorative statement uh, called on the need in uh, for diplomacy uh, with the goal remaining clear, being sustainable peace and the complete and verifiable denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, uh, Russia is not going to listen to them and say, sure, uh, despite what you guys are doing right now in assisting Ukraine with the uh, war over there, sure, we'll talk to North Korea. Of course, uh, we want peace. We've always believed in peace. And uh, no, that's certainly not going to happen in China. And uh, there's always been sort of skepticism over China's role in uh, denuclearization talks because a lot of people are saying, well, does, surely does China really want peace on the Korean Peninsula? It has been the, the question here, but that's... Uh, it's really unfortunate. And you'll notice that today, again, uh, today, July 27th, is the 70th anniversary of the Armistice Day. Uh, but 
the way that we say it is we don't say we celebrate, right?、Mm-hmm. We don't say we're celebrating the seventieth、uh, anniversary of Armistice Day. We're saying we're commemorating、uh, the seventieth anniversary of the Armistice Day because, sure,、uh, ceasefire was good, but technically we are still at war.、Uh, but however, things are. Bit different over in North Korea. They're celebrating. Why? Because they still believe number one that the Korean War in on、uh, June twenty fifth, nineteen fifty, started because the U.S. invaded North Korea and that they won the war on July twenty seventh, nineteen fifty three. And so history is a little bit weird there. And so you know that the、uh, events that are happening, all the commemorations, all the celebrations,、uh, it's it's very different over in North Korea. And so we saw North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Reportedly introducing its ICBMs and new weapons to、uh, Russian defense minister, who, by the way, is visiting、uh, the state to attend the 70th anniversary of their quote-unquote victory day there.、Uh, so, Ji, let's get more on that. All right. So, North Korean leader Kim Jong Un visited a weapons exhibition with the Russian military delegation in Pyongyang, who's in Pyongyang to attend the victory day.、Uh, together, they inspected、uh, ICBMs as well as new unmanned aerial vehicles. Uh, and Kim was demonstrating the North's commitment to strong military cooperation with Russia.、Uh, Kim also visited the Arms and Equipment Vision Exhibition 2023 with the Russian、uh, military delegation led by Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. According to the North Korean Central News Agency, Kim, Kim introduced to Shoigu the technical equipment of the Korean People's Army in recent years. And he also discussed the development trend and strategy of their global armaments.、Uh, the central news agency did not provide details of the meeting between the two, but it's believed that they exchanged assessments of the new Cold War tensions、uh, between the U.S., South Korea, Japan, North Korea, and Russia. Which have intensified in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, it's also likely that the issue of North Korea's arms supply to Russia was discussed, and Defense Minister Shoigu presented Kim with a letter from President Vladimir Putin, to which Kim expressed his gratitude. And the two leaders also reportedly exchanged gifts for each other. Meanwhile, as reported yesterday, a military parade that will set the stage for the North to show off their nuclear capabilities is much anticipated for tonight. It is interesting what new. Weapons they actually showcase because the consensus usually the U.S. and、uh, South Korea as well as other countries they look carefully at these military parades、uh, in case that there is this new weapon, right?、Mm-hmm. And so, like、uh, I think it was like last year or the year before that they showcased the、uh, the Hwasong 18 for the very first time. But、uh, so far, the consensus is that there's no major、uh, weapons to showcase. But、uh, Nevertheless,、uh, we'll keep, continue to keep a close tab on this and update、uh, it for all of our listeners out there.、Uh, we're going to shift our focus to some domestic policies, or actually the country's space sector this time, which,、uh, however, also involves political struggles.、Uh, the Science Ministry has announced a structural plan for the envisioned Korea version of the NASA,、uh, or a new aerospace agency, on Thursday.、Uh, so, what, what did we、uh, learn from the latest announcements? Well, as we know, the Yunsogyeol、uh, administration has been planning the establishment of a space agency, for now referred to as the Korea Aerospace Administration or CASA. And、uh, just by the name, you'd figure out it's the Korean version of NASA. And President Yoon had vowed in November last year that it plans to establish CASA this year, so in 2023. Now, on Thursday, the Ministry of Science and ICT had some more details on the structure of this new agency. 
agency. Science Minister Yi Zhonghuo announced that the personnel of the agency will be less than 300, uh, and the budget for next year is tentatively set at 700 to 720 billion won. That would be around 550 to 565 million U.S. dollars. But as for the personnel, uh, he did mention that uh, for now, the number will be at around 300, but more people are to be hired in the future. What he also said was that the existing space institutes, Korea Aerospace Research Institute, or also referred to as CARI, and known for its big role in Korea's Nuri Rocket Space Mission Program and the Korea Astronomy and Space Science Institute or CASI will not be subject to organizational restructuring, meaning they won't be housed by the new agency or CASA. And that uh, means that they will remain independent bodies that will work as separate mission centers for the envisioned new agency. And CASA will be led by a vice minister level commissioner and have seven departments. Uh, one of the departments will be in charge of launching vehicles, uh, space science and exploration, satellites, advanced aerospace, aerospace policies, aerospace business and international cooperation. Those are the departments. Uh, Minister E said, quote, we will mobilize utmost efforts to elevate the country's standing in the global space industries. The ministry has to further cooperate with the National Assembly and other government ministries in establishing the agency and also a pending bill needs to be passed at parliament as well. I was so confused. I had to look this up because for the longest time I thought that aerospace was one word. It is one word. So technically it's supposed to be ka, right? Because they were saying Korea Aerospace uh, Administration ah. or something. It was administration. Yeah. Because because oh. you, you can't put aero and space separate. That's the only way. Because NASA, mm -hmm. NASA is, I believe, uh, the National Air, Aerospace and Space Administration or something like that, I believe. It is the oh National Aeronautics and Space Administration. Mm -hmm. That's so it's it's NASA because of that. CASA, it's like But it, it looks like they their I, I, spelling is yeah. it is one word aerospace, but, but they, they put, the, put S. the S as a capital uh. S. See, this triggered all the Aja listeners on our show to come out because Museum says Casablanca and you know, <laughs> come on. I you know, Casa was something that I was part of in college. Uh, it was the Korean American Student Association. <laughs> so it's going to be a little bit confusing. But it is interesting, though. Uh, there has been this plan for maybe the reason why it is called CASA is CASA or CASA is because they wanted to, to make, make it Korean sound like NASA. NASA. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's right. Uh, in the meantime, the government is strongly pushing for the establishment of this uh, Space uh, Aviation Administration uh, for the effective management of space-related initiatives in the country, existing space institutes, uh, including the Korea Aerospace Research Institute or CARI, uh, express have, have actually expressed opposition toward the plan for obvious reasons, as mm -hmm. someone mentioned earlier here. Uh, tell us more about this, Chihi. Right, so CADI, or uh, Korea Aerospace Research Institute, which is a branch of the Korean Union of Scientific and Technical Workers, announced today that it strongly opposes the basic plan for the establishment and operation of the Korea Aerospace Administration announced by the Ministry of Science and ICT. Now, the union said in a statement that the science ministry is proposing a plan that ignores the needs of the times to strengthen the country's space capabilities and is rushed ahead of the parliamentary elections and is far from being professional with it. 
the Space Administration, which the government is pushing to establish by the end of the year, will not incorporate, as Soa said earlier, external organizations that have previously been responsible for space-related uh, R&D, such as uh, CADI and the Korea Astronomy and Space Science CASA Institute. Instead, the plan is to... Uh, oh. Kasi. Kasi, Kasi. <laughs> I'm confused. So instead, the plan is to create a space mission headquarters within that new administration and have it assign tasks and deliver results to external space R&D organizations. So in other words, the new body will carry out major space R&D missions, uh, such as launch vehicles and satellites, but will designate the research organizations in charge of existing uh, space R&D as external mission centers. Now, the Union argued that if the administration is established as proposed by the government, uh, institutes currently in charge of space development and exploration will be split and dismantled, and the national space development capabilities will be decentralized, resulting in regression of national level space capabilities as well as strategies. Uh, let's quickly wrap things up with the latest regarding Daegu Mayor Hong Jung-pyo, uh, who eventually did receive his punishment for his recent controversial golf outing when the country uh, was dealing with massive amounts of rain that led to damages and casualties as well. Uh, so what's the verdict on this? Well, uh, the last time I talked about this topic was exactly a week ago, the day when the ruling People Power Party's Ethics Committee convened for a meeting to decide whether there should be disciplinary measures against Hong Junpyo or not uh, due to his controversial golf weekend in the midst of the monsoon season and his comments thereafter uh, after he was criticized for his behavior. So the committee yesterday Wednesday has come to a final conclusion, Hong has been suspended of his party membership for 10 months. The committee's decision was made unanimously. Uh, the head of the committee, Hwang jung said the panel's assessment comes as Hong's golf outing and his following remarks violated the party's ethics code. He also was said to have alienated public sentiment from the party. Uh, this marks the first time the PPP's Ethics Committee took disciplinary action against a mayor or governor level since year 2015. So this, what this means for Hong is it's not that he's not going to be the mayor, it's just that his party rights has been stripped. But what's important here, 10 months, that means it will have impact on the general elections next year. Uh, Hong will not be able to run uh, that which will be in April, right? Yes. However, yeah. uh, the PPP knows that Tegu is going to be run by PPP. And so in getting seats or anything like that uh, for the next general elections or whatever, it's not going to be a problem, but it's going to be a problem for Hong Junpyo. Uh, and the consensus is if he didn't make that remark, right, after uh, all the comments to the reporters, that it probably would have been far less than mm -hmm. the, uh, the 10 months that he received mm -hmm. there. Uh, nevertheless, guys, as always, thank you very much uh, for joining us for the latest uh, report. We always uh, love initials. Sochi's uh, joining us <laughs> in our program today. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and we'll see you guys again. Thank see you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.